Well, as already mentioned, today is Pentecost Sunday. And next week is Trinity Sunday. And then the church calendar goes to what's called ordinary time. <laughs> and, uh, and we don't resume the, the special days, if you will, and Sundays until we return back to Advent. And I'll tell you, I have, um, I, I want to double down on the church calendar. <laughs> And uh, my mind has been on this because, as you know, June is Pride Month um, in our culture. And I don't know if you've seen it, but I think it was uh, Carl Truman, Carl Truman, uh, the, who was once professor at uh, Westminster Theological Seminary. Now I think he's out at Grove City College. But he wrote an excellent article, and I wish I could know where. I'll try to get the link out there if you're interested. But um, he wrote an excellent article on redeeming time and space and that the the holidays and the seasons that a culture acknowledges slash celebrates slash institutionalizes slash represents in its significations of flags and representations within the culture matter and they matter big time and for many generations Decades, centuries, if not millennia, you had time and space represented by and, if you will, if you will ruled over by the Christian church. It was the, it was the time itself was um, seen and understood and structured by the church and by the history of redemption. And as that falls apart, as that deteriorates, um, and now you have, again, in our culture, a whole month dedicated to uh, sexual orientation, to gender identification, to these kinds of things. It has an effect on a culture. And as Christians, I am, I just believe, I'm with Carl Truman on this, that we need to redeem the time. That the days that need to mark out our time, the fixed points in our time, we, we need not, nor, nor is it wise for us to be governed in this by America or by Western civilization. But we must let our understanding of time be governed by the history of redemption. Therefore, it's good for us to remember that last week was Ascension Sunday. And to remember this moment in time and to say that is, that's what we think of as we come toward May and June. That this is Ascension Sunday. Today is Pentecost Sunday, where we remember as a people the gift of the ascended Lord Jesus Christ in sending his Holy Spirit upon the church. That that marks time for us. That let next week be Trinity Sunday, in which we recognize the triune God. And that these things are the fixed points that mark out our time. Not that we can't have any cultural reminders. Of course, there will be those things. And they're important. And we should be very careful about what days we have and what days we celebrate and what days we don't celebrate and what we name those days and what we call those days. But the names of these days and times and seasons matter. They tell us as a culture what's really important to us. And even for us as individuals. And we're shaped by these things, culturally speaking and personally speaking. 
And so I, I, I feel compelled in, in light of uh, Carl Truman's article to double down on the church calendar and to remind you that today is Pentecost Sunday. Though, of course, as I always remind you, the church calendar is not biblical. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't come out of the Bible. We have nothing. Paul never says, now don't forget, this is Trinity Sunday, or this is Pentecost Sunday. But there's a wisdom to it to orient our time and to structure our time and to let the fixed points of our time and the symbols of our space draw us back to Christ. So on this Pentecost Sunday in the month of June, we remember the fact that Christ who died and Christ who was raised from the dead and Christ who ascended to the right hand of the Father and who was given all authority in heaven and on earth in his position of power at the right hand of the Father ruling over all things, if you will, his first order of business as King of Kings and Lord of Lords is to share gifts. What does he do when he ascends to power? Well, Paul told us in Ephesians, when he ascended to high and led captivity captive, he gave gifts to men. It tells us something about the nature of our king. Notice that when he becomes king, he does not immediately then slay all his enemies. He will. I don't want to soft pedal the kind of king he is. He will. The day is coming, and we know if we track through the scriptures, the day of judgment is coming. You even heard a glimpse of it in the prophecy of Joel too. I mean, he's talking about, you know, these armies like horses, like locusts that are going to come. And, and of course, in one way, that was filled by the Babylonians and the Syrians upon Israel. They got a foretaste of it in an army of the Lord's hand of judgment that was going to come and bring his judgment upon Israel, his own people, in their rebellion. But brothers and sisters, make no mistake about it. The chewing, consuming locusts of Joel 2, which for those listening on on internet was our Old Testament reading today. The chewing, consuming locusts of the Babylonians. The horse-like army of the Assyrians that will be over the walls and in your windows and bring destruction to your city is a pale, pale foretaste of the coming judgment of the Lord, which will make all people tremble and the scriptures in Joel 2 remind us to tremble before it. That day is coming. But it is interesting to me that when the king of kings sits on his throne and is given all power and authority, what's the first thing he does? Slay his enemies? Bring no, the first thing he does is gives gifts to men. He pours out his Holy Spirit upon his church. I just think there's something beautiful about that. The priority, if you will, in his own nature, what, what, what has priority in his nature is generosity, gift-giving, grace. He abounds with mercy. He's patient and long-suffering and kind. Judgment will come, but he gives time as long as it is called today, says the author of Hebrews. You have time to repent. 
That's the kind of king he is. And so on Pentecost Sunday, we remember the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's where we're going for the rest of our time. But I want to I say that in light of the work of Christ, because the Holy Spirit is sent, if you will, as the first act of the king who promised he would do it. I will go and I will send another helper to you. I will send a comforter. And it's good for you that I go so that when I go, I may do this for you. What we celebrate on Pentecost Sunday is the coming of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon his church. We did not read the historical text, which if you are interested, is Acts chapter 2. But you'll remember that Jesus, we looked at Acts 1 last week and the ascension of Christ, that Jesus has his disciples gathered. He's about to ascend. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait. I want you to wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you where you will receive the gift that I am sending to you. Then, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we think they, they were to return back, receive the Holy Spirit. Then they do receive the Spirit. And you'll remember, they're all gathered in the upper room a few days later. And all of a sudden, the wind begins to blow inside the building. The breath of God, the wind of God, the Spirit of God in the Greek and in the Hebrew, all the same word. Ruach in the Hebrew, pneuma in the Greek, but it means wind, breath spirit. And you can think, just let your mind run back through the scriptures about wind and breath and spirit and see the Holy Spirit in all of these things. He is the breath of God. He is the, 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 the breath that carries the word, right? Think what's happening when I'm speaking to you right now. I'm breathing. I'm exhaling. You know it when you sing because you're singing, you're holding a note and you're trying to figure out when do I take that breath because I need oxygen to be able to blow it out. But what is the breath doing? What is the air doing? The air is taking the words and moving them outside through your vocal cords and bringing them out so we can all hear them. It's moving the air so that the words can be brought out. And just think about that in terms of the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit does is he is the breath of God that carries the word of God to us. Not only in the scriptures, but even brings the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, the word in the flesh, to us. This is the gift that Jesus gives to his church in Acts 2. And so the wind begins. And there's fire above the heads of the of the disciples. Think about fire in the Old Testament. The images of fire, the pillar of fire. God is a consuming fire, the burning bush, the fiery chariot wheels of the moving throne of God. This image of fire, our God who is a holy consuming fire. Now divided, if you will, though not divided, but you understand out over the heads of each individual person. They now have the fire of God, the breath of God dwelling on them and in them. And then they begin to manifest the power of the Spirit in the gift of tongues, speaking, if you will, in languages that they did not know. As people from all different languages have gathered in Jerusalem, 
and they're speaking. And by the Holy Spirit, the God, God is speaking the language of the Gentiles now. He's not speaking Hebrew. He's not speaking Aramaic. God is speaking through his apostles in Gentile, in Gentile language. The language of God has now divided as well, and it's going out to all the nations. And that's represented in the speaking of the disciples, whom people look around and say, oh, they're drunk because you got the Jews who can't understand it now as God is speaking to the Gentiles in their language. And so that's what's going on here. That's the day that we celebrate at this point in the church calendar, the day of Pentecost. Now, our text this morning, as Mark mentioned, is, is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And here, Paul is in, and we're actually going to start a series shortly on 1 Corinthians. We're actually going to come back to this text before too long. I'll find, I'll figure out another sermon to, pre to preach on it. But here, Paul is reminding the Corinthians of who they are as the church. And he reminds them right at the beginning. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to those dumb idols, however you were led. I, okay, guys, let's remember where we all come from here. You guys were Gentiles, used to worship these mute gods, used to worship these static gods, these statues that did nothing for you, but nonetheless, you were led away into idolatry by them. But now, brothers, but now, you serve the living God. You serve a God who acts. You serve a God who has sent his son into the world to redeem the world. You serve a God who loves you and who gives gifts to you. Unlike the, the gods of the nations who we just constantly have to slaughter things to kind of satiate. You actually have a God who is full and overflows. Not a God who is empty and needs to be filled by all your 24-hour sacrifices. No, you have a God who is so full that he overflows with rich blessing unto you. And that's what he's saying to the Corinthians. And that overflowing blessing that is to you is the Holy Spirit himself. Now, I just want to say a word about the Holy Spirit before we jump in and quick look at the gifts, because this passage is primarily on the gifts that the gift gives you, right? You receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes and equips you with gifts. He is the gift, and the gift is a gift-giving gift. <laughs> he equips you to do work. But before we do that, we ought to think well about the Holy Spirit, and this really requires more time, and if any of you all hang out for... Sunday school, we can think a little bit more about this, but about the role of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit, is it is it is a fact that he is he. I say he, not it. He, he is the third person of the Trinity. And the third person of the Trinity is that one person of the Trinity that kind of gets a little bit of short shrift, especially amongst us as Reformed people. Right? We generally associate the Holy Spirit with the work of the charismatic church. Charismatic is, charisma means gift. And the charismatic church focuses on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times in reform circles, we're a little weak on the work of the Holy Spirit. We're not sure what to do with it. And there's someone, there's reasons for that, I believe. For one, 
the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit primarily is Jesus sends the Holy Spirit is to shine a light on Christ. And therefore, you know, oftentimes when the lights are on, like most of us, we really appreciate that the lights are on in this room, but most of us are giving the lights themselves very little attention. Right? We don't walk outside and look at the sun. You just don't do it. And yet we thank God for the sun. It's, a, it's the sun that allows us to see where we're going and see what we're doing and allows all kinds of good things to happen. We know the sun is there, but the, we, don't, we don't focus on the sun. The sun is there so that we might focus on everything else. And Jesus said the Holy Spirit is going to have this role. The Holy Spirit is that work of illuminating light that is utterly essential but whose task is to illuminate the sun, S-O-N, illuminate Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that makes much of Jesus so that we see him. So if we are a Christ-centered church, then we are a spirit-filled church, right? Because, because we, have, we are doing what the Holy Spirit intends for the church to do. And that, that is not stare at the light bulbs, though the Holy Spirit is worth dwelling on. I, I don't, he's not less than the son or less than the father. It is absolutely and utterly worth considering and contemplating the work of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. But you'll know the Holy Spirit is at work within a church because they make much of the son. They make much of Christ because that's what the Holy Spirit, and again, S-O-N, they make much of the son. That way he brings light upon him. So even though the Holy Spirit does seem to get short shrift, he is glorified in as much as we glorify the, the sun. On days like this, though, it's worth contemplating the light bulb, though. It is, it's, it is worth every now and then to remind ourselves of the S-U-N when you go outside and to think about its power and to, and to give God thanks for it. It can be taken for granted, but we want to give God thanks for the light. We want to give God thanks for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, we say in our creed, which we will say today, you'll see down at the very end, there's that last little bit about the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. The breath of God is the very thing that gives you life. It's, it's, what, it's the reason you're alive right now. It's because God has breathed his ruach, his wind, his breath, his spirit into you. Were the Holy Spirit to be removed from you, you would cease to be. Certainly cease to be alive. But he is the very being that holds you together, the person of the Trinity that literally holds your cells together and that gives you life. The Holy Spirit is the orderer. The Holy Spirit is the life giver. The Holy Spirit is the one that brings structure out of the chaos. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit hovered over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, right, God breathed forth his word, his logos, by his Spirit and brought order to the world. And so therefore, as Jesus sends, as the ascended Lord Jesus Christ sends his spirit, we need these images to think about what is the Holy Spirit doing within the church? 
Well, he's the Lord and giver of life. The Holy Spirit brings life. The reason you're alive physically, literally, believer or non-believer, is because the Holy Spirit of God gives them life. Every non-believer walking around, breathing, and who has life in their body and refuses to give God thanks is a blasphemer. Their foolish hearts are dark and claiming to be wise, they become fools. They think life is just a thing you have. Is it some biochemical reaction? It is the gift of the Holy Spirit given to all men by his common grace. How much more than your spiritual life? The fact that you once were dead in your sins and trespasses, but God who is rich in mercy by the breath of his word, by the regenerating work of his spirit. Unless a man is born again, Jesus tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3, by the spirit who's like the wind. You don't know where it's coming or where it's going. But unless he makes you born again, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven. Much less believe it, much less repent, much less cling to it. The fact that you and I have eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive the word of God is the work of the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. That's why you see. That's why you believe. That's why you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's worth giving praise to the Father for the gift of his spirit. Now, what does this spirit do as Jesus sends him? Now, I should say all the things I just mentioned, giving physical life, giving spiritual life, the Holy Spirit have been doing since the beginning of time. It's not like the Holy Spirit comes on the scene at Pentecost. But at Pentecost, he does something specific for his church. He had always been bringing life physically. And throughout, whoever believed in the Old Testament only believed because the Lord and giver of life had given them spiritual life. But at Pentecost, the Lord and giver of life also now gives gifts to equip his church for being co-workers with the Son. Because we're now called to be his witnesses. We are called to go in the light of Christ and make disciples of all the nations. And brothers and sisters, you are not equipped for that. How can you represent the risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ? I don't care how great you are, how eloquent you are, how charming you are, how talented you are, without the gift of the Holy Spirit, you will be ineffective. And so, as he sends them, he equips them with the gift of his Spirit to anoint them for the ministry he's called them to. And even this work of anointing people for ministry, he was doing in the Old Testament, but only to specific people, particularly prophets, priests, kings, and a couple others. This is when David prays, you don't know if you've ever thought about it in Psalm 51, when we say that prayer, you know, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. What's he mean by that? What's it mean to take the Holy Spirit from him? He means don't take my anointing away. The only reason I'm king and the only reason I can be king is because you've given me your spirit, not for physical life, not for, he doesn't, he doesn't mean literally going to take away my salvation. That's not what he means. He has to return the joy of his salvation in Psalm 51. But he's not worried about losing his salvation there. What he's saying is, don't take your anointing away from me. Don't take that Pentecostal 
blessing of equipping away from me that you've given to me. Because I can't be king without that. I can't rule for you without that. So please don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. And that gift of the Holy Spirit, which he gave only to some, prophets, priests, and kings, which were all pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ, he now pours out on all his church at Pentecost because of Christ. Because you are in Christ, we are all now prophets, priests, and kings. Small p, small p, small k in Christ. But as such, we all receive that anointing. And your old man will dream dreams and the women will prophesy. You know, it's just like the spirit will flood out over the whole church, Joel says, on that great and awesome day. And Acts 2 was that great and awesome day. And brothers and sisters, you and I are living in that day. And therefore, Paul says, therefore, I want to make known to you that no one speaking by the spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. No one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit has come, and by this, he's going to draw you to the Lord Jesus Christ. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. Hey, Corinthians, here's something you need to know. You need to understand these two things. On the one hand, the one God has poured out his gifts on us all. Therefore, I have certain gifts and a certain role within the kingdom of God that you might have something similar to, you might have something very different from, right? We have differences. You have been called to do things I have not been called to do. You have been put into circumstances that I know nothing about, that I don't have any gifting to deal with. There are issues going on that I desperately need your help on. And there are things that you need my help on because the Holy Spirit has equipped me to do certain things and he's equipped you to do certain things. But Corinthians know this, there's only one God. And it's the one God who has equipped us all. Right? He's going to go on, we're not going to look at it, but at the back end of this text, of this chapter, chapter 12, he's going to make this whole point about, and therefore there's only one body. Because there's only one God, there's only one people, there's one body. And sure, my ear doesn't have the same job as the eye, but they're all serving the one body. And we, though I have this job, this is my job, to preach and teach and do other sundry things, important things. And you have a role and you have a task and we're all, so I'm not, the eye cannot be better than the ear, or more important than the ear. Take away the ear. It's rough. You say, well, we still have our eyes. Yeah, okay, but we're missing the ear and we're the lesser for it. Oh my goodness, the illnesses we're talking about here. You give the colon cancer and see how the body does. You'll say, well, it's just the colon. The rest of the body doesn't go out well, too bad for the colon. No, it affects the whole body. Your spiritual life, your service within the kingdom, in your, I'll say, little role, because all of our roles are little in the grand scheme of things. But our little roles are important within the body because we all serve the one Christ. There's one God and there's one body. But the one God is also three persons. And so the beautiful thing about our God 
is that he is one. And yet in that unity, there is a beauty of complexity. And so also in the church, we're not all the eye. We're not all the liver. Our bodies are complex and beautiful because they are multifaceted. They do many things and all these parts are working so synchronously together. I mean, when you contemplate your body, it's unbelievable. Working together. And the very unity of the church is a reflection of the unity of the one but complexly diverse God. And you see that in this text. Notice in verse 4, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are diversities of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but the same God, Father, Son, and Spirit. So Paul even weaves the Trinity into this, that, hey, guys, do you see what I just did there? The diversities of our gifts reflect the diversity of our God, and yet the unity of our God means that the diversity of our gifts does not divide us, does not make one better than another. It makes us beautiful. We're a cathedral built not out of simple bricks where they all look the same. That is beautiful as well. But we're a cathedral made out of stone where each stone has its unique form and shape and yet fits in perfect place to form this amazing cathedral, each stone serving its little purpose into something grand and glorious. And that is the unity and the beautiful complexity of our God and the beautiful complexity of the church. One body, multiple gifts given by the Spirit, and then I'll conclude with this, unto what end? There are different diverse gifts, but the same Spirit, diversity of ministries, same Lord, diversity of activities, but the same God. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Let's flip over. I'm going to flip over real quickly to the passage we looked at in the New Testament uh, in our a word of exhortation from Ephesians 4. Here's how Paul, and again, this is the Ephesians version of 1 Corinthians 12, okay? It's just you know, Paul's got the same thoughts he's thinking. He's just writing them to different churches. And here's how he says it to the Ephesians. And listen to this. Um, I'm in chapter one. In Ephesians four, he says this. And he himself, that is Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Okay, hey, he sprinkles out these gifts and distributes them. You know, some have the gift of helps and administration, some, some for counseling, some for shepherding, some for, you know, to what end? Paul just said in 1 Corinthians 12, for the edifying of all, for the common good of the church. Here's how he says it to the Ephesians. He's done all this, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. Again, I am ill-equipped apart from the Holy Spirit, but because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, I am now equipped for the equipping of the saints, for the edifying of of the body of Christ. Why have I been given my gifts? So that I'm equipped to be a co-worker with the Lord Jesus Christ for the edifying of the full body. Why does the ear have the ability to hear? For the edification of the body. Why does the eye have the ability to see? So that we can have a healthy, good, well-oiled machine of a body. So that the body can do its job as a whole. Why do I preach for the sake of the body? 
for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. We're maturing to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine and trickery of men and cunning craftiness, but rather speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, namely Christ, from whom, from Christ now, the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. What, what holds us together? We receive what we receive from Christ so that the whole body, every joint supplying what it needs to supply, every cell supplying what it needs to supply, with every joint supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Do you look at the church this way? Let the church not be a place. The church is a body. Made alive. Not by really amazing people. Made alive by the Lord and giver of life. Who breathes into us and now has equipped us as a body with different gifts that we might make the body healthy. How are you doing? How am I doing? Are we a healthy body? Are we contributing to the health of the greater body? Are we doing our little part here at Affirmation, but also beyond Affirmation? Affirmation is just one little appendage, tiny little appendage. We're the pinky nail, the, the pinky toenail of the, uh, of the body. We're this little appendage. Done. But how are we doing with the grand church? Are we praying? You know, I was thinking, and I'll wrap up with this. I just finished reading The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, with a, one of our activity groups. I had about 20 students, 25, that wanted to come on their activity period to read The Great Divorce. Great. It's awesome. In The Great Divorce, you know, Lewis sort of gets a glimpse of going to heaven, and, and it's a dream, and he, but he goes to heaven, and he sees the saints there. And I love it because these saints come from heaven to welcome people in call them basically to come into heaven. And he sees this one woman. She is just radiating light. He, he can't even look at her. She's just beaming with light. And there's a, a, a parade going out in front of her with banners flying and birds are singing and it's, it's just triumphant. And then a crowd behind her and, and, and Lewis turns to his his saint who came to meet him and invite him in, George MacDonald, the author. And he says, sir, who, who is this? Is she? He's trying to guess, like, this must be some fam famous saint. Like, who, what is she? And he goes, no, lad, he says to Lewis, you won't know her. You won't know her. Her name is Sarah Smith. He just picks the most, I love it, because he just picks the, a generic name. He says, her name is Sarah Smith. She lived over there on Connor Avenue. You won't know her. But here, she is great. Here, she is one of the great saints. She's, she is one that just receives such adoration. When we see her, we fall down with joy over her because she is one of the great saints of the kingdom. You would never know who she is. Sarah Smith over there on Connor Avenue. 
And what Lewis is getting at there is this image in 1 Corinthians 12. Like, sometimes it's the least things, the littlest things. You, we're going we're gonna to be blown away in heaven by who the great saints are, if you will. You know, it, it's, it's the woman no one really knew about who gave her, the widow who gave her last money for the sake of the church. It's the prayer warrior who you just never knew that their knees were all worn out because of their prayer time that they were doing. But they're doing their part by the power of the Spirit for the health of the body. And I just want to encourage you on this Pentecost Sunday to be a Sarah Smith. To be that part within the body that God has equipped you to be. And may we at Affirmation be that as a congregation as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your spirit. And Father, we pray that we would not quench the spirit within us, but that you would fill us by your spirit, that we might serve you for the good of your body, the church, through whom you bless the world. Make us your hands, feet, eyes, and ears. In whatever part you have called us to be, Father, Father, make us faithful, we pray for. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.